And now a reading from the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 14, verses 22 through 29. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountaintop to himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, and for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. I will tell you that the very last image of this story is one of an individual I met maybe 15 or 20 years ago. And it is an image and a story, a person I introduced you to maybe four or five years ago. So if you remember it, I hope it'll still be meaningful, but it fits just right with the end of this sermon. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be offered humbly and faithfully. Amen. It was 10, almost 15 years or so ago that there was a website designed and entitled We Are Not Afraid. It was started as an antidote to some terrorist bombings in London, England. And the idea behind the website was pretty straightforward. People would send in photos from various and sundry places, creatively holding up the words, We Are Not Afraid. And so, they streamed in from around the world photos of people with the words expressing that courageous attitude. And they were done in some really creative ways. Some imposed the words on the statue of Lincoln in the Lincoln Memorial. Someone printed them on a map of the London tube. In yet another one, the words, we are not afraid, were formed by pancakes in a frying pan. One was printed beneath a picture of a new mother and her child. On and on. There was something like 20,000 submissions. Some were whimsical and others heartbreaking. But the effect, I think, was what the originators intended. When you would click through them, there would be this sense of hope. And I think hope as opposed to fear, is the response to pictures of trust. I mean, that's what they were, pictures of people saying they trust, they're not afraid. But it's both trust and fear that bring us to the foot of this morning's biblical reading, where we find the disciple Peter, a really sort of curious conflation of these two emotions. He is a person of great trust, and fear. He's afraid and courageous at the same time. But Peter, Peter might very well simply hold up a mirror 
and in that mirror we might find our familiar faces. But you heard the story, right? Jesus encourages Peter to come. But it begins with a qualifier. Peter says, and sometimes it just slips by us, he said, if it is you, if, he's really not sure, but if it is you, I'll try. And so this figure who was walking towards him in chaos was, of course, Jesus, and he's still not ready to let go. Of, maybe, I don't know, but maybe he wondered, if it is Jesus, I mean, what kind of a savior is this? I mean, Jesus is calling him out of a safe place into chaos. Oftentimes we think of our faith as, as being taking us from chaos into a place of stability and quiet. But it's just the opposite, right? He's calling him out of the boat into the tumult of the waves. Maybe even in a way asking Peter to hold up a sign and say, I... I'm not afraid. Well, I hope it made sense to you that we just sang that hymn that tells us Jesus calls us o'er the tumult of our life's wild, restless sea in both joys and sorrows, saying, Christian, follow me. But if truth be told, Jesus doesn't really often call us from the tumult, but is more likely to call us into it. I have a pastor friend who writes about a friend of hers who has started, this was five years ago, a home for women who were about to become single moms. They had nowhere else to go. Their families, biological fathers, and, and even our social safety net had all abandoned them. There was no one to help them. So her friend saw this opportunity, this ministry, and and the one who runs the home works, as you might imagine, Herculean hours. And there is never enough money to do all the ministry. And her friend who started the home had given up an excellent paying job in banking where she was, if you were to calibrate her achievement as much as the world does, she was quite prosperous and successful. And her friend said, why did you leave? I mean, this place really is chaos. And you have to wonder, why did she get mixed up in the tumult of a, of a home for single mothers who have been basically forgotten and abandoned even by society, let alone their families? But she stepped out of the boat, and by her actions, she made a bold claim that I am not afraid. And she told her friend, I think, it just felt like what I was supposed supposed to do. But what I think she had done is she actually sort of crossed a bridge, a bridge that spans that chasm that sometimes exists between God's invitation to you and to me to use our gifts in creative and faithful ways. And sometimes it is a chasm between God's invitation and the daily lives we live. I have a hunch about that. It's not always easy to feel the, the strong connection or even maybe the strangely warmed heart that you have when we are together for this hour on Sunday morning. I don't know about you, but sometimes by Tuesday the strangely warmed heart has cooled. I mean, I get that. 
I mean, so much of the week we are immersed in demands of, of caring for a family or having to see an aging parent and arrange their appointments. Or maybe you're building the sales team and on and on, right? And so our strangely warmed hearts from this hour when, when for this hour we all basically face in the same direction. We sing together. We pray for strength. We pray for justice. We pray for mercy. We welcome strangers to try to extend Christian hospitality. But then, I said Tuesday, but sometimes it's Monday morning. That strangely warmed heart has cooled. So I do have an advertisement for you here, right in the middle of a sermon. One of the ways you might cross that span yourself is to carry on that spirit of the warmed heart some hour during the week. I'm going to urge you, if you haven't yet considered being a part of one of the Lenten small groups, the Lectio Divina, the engagement of Scripture in a really deep and meaningful way, I'm going to encourage you to really consider stepping out of the boat and trying that. I was about to say, trust me, but don't trust me. Trust the words of God. But here is my hunch, if you do, if you're willing to open your heart and let the spirit of this hour of Sunday seep into your Monday through Saturday world, I have a sense you will be delighted that you did that. And I know, I get it, I understand. It's a sacrifice of one of our most precious resources, our time. But the God we follow always asks us to give of ourselves. I mean, the one who called Peter out from the boat, from the relative safety of a boat, and into the sometimes unsettling waters of faith, is the same God who gives each and every one of us the strength to say, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to care for those young moms abandoned by our society. I'm not afraid to deepen my faith by listening to God's word in a small community. I'm not afraid to trust. Which always makes me wonder about myself. Maybe you wonder it about yourself. I wonder if I'm always merely splashing about in the safe and shallow waters of faith and too often missing the opportunities to be called by God. That there are times I think each of us are called to venture forth to wade in to the deeper waters that a life of deeper faith calls each and every one of us to. You have that calling. You do. That sometimes peculiar way that God will use you in the world. Now it may, or it may not, have anything to do with your career. I mean, in a career you make a living but it's in a calling that you make a difference. I think of people in this congregation who have been called to write letters in support of sensible gun laws. I think of people who have been called to go on weekends or days or week-long trips to repair homes damaged by storms. I think of our confirmands who are called to serve soup to the hungry from the night ministry van in Humboldt Park. And I think of more of you than I can count who have set up sleeping cots for the Beds Homeless program. And one of you even told me you like to go around before the guests arrive and fluff the pillows. 
But when I think of calling, I also think of the young man whom I met and told you about several years ago, who indeed stepped out of the boat and followed Jesus' call to teach, to teach young people who thirst for knowledge. His aunt called me and said, would you be willing to speak to my nephew? He's about your age. And she said, and I kid you not, then when she came to visit me, she said, he's been, and she used air quotes, called by God to leave his excellent paying job and go teach in a school in an underserved community. Now, I don't know why she chose me to have this conversation, because I had left AT&T like three years earlier, but she said, I think you'll talk some sense into him. Well, oddly enough, it all got said. He was, came into town next week. I was in the office up in the balcony that Meredith now has not today, and there was a knock on my door, and I said, come on in. The door was open, pushed it open, and he was leaning against the door jamb with a big smile on his face, and he said, how you doing, Goose? Yes, he had been a fraternity brother of mine in college. I had no idea that's who was coming to see me. And we chatted for a while, and I had to say to him finally, you know, Tex, um, you're one of the last persons I would have ever expected to feel that you are called by God. And he looked at me and goes, I know exactly how you're feeling. <laughs> but then we had a lovely conversation. And he said this to me. Kurt, you said, you know that quote in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus says to not worry about what you'll eat or wear? When he urges us to remember that life is more than food, more than the body, more than clothing? And I said to him, oh, text, I, I love that verse, but... And he stopped me right there. He said, whenever I tell people that, they always say, I love that, but... He said, there's no but in that sentence for me. I believe it. There's no qualifier. Nothing that undoes the, undoes the words that came before it. There's no but in that sentence for me. So I'm just going to live it. And 20 minutes later, out my door and into the future, Tex walked. One has to imagine sometimes into the unsettling and chaotic waters of faith, right? But don't you wonder what made him do it? I mean, what caused him to begin to swim upstream against the countercultural tide? I mean, what caused him to, to want to give more to others rather than trying to get all that he could? He was called called by someone who beckoned him to step out of the boat. Some are called in large ways, maybe to start homes for mothers that society has abandoned. Some are called maybe to step out in small ways and to fluff a pillow at beds or to be in a Lenten study group. But st Tex stepped out of the boat and he swam against the stream and followed a way, found a way to follow Jesus. 
I have always hoped. And I think about this often. I've always hoped that Tex ended up gathering one of his classes together, got all those seventh grade science students that he was going to teach around him. And I don't know if it would be a small one or a sign that stretched all the way across, but I would love it if I knew that it said, be not afraid, so be it. <laughs>